Well, we are indeed finishing the Gospel of John this morning. As Jeff said, it's, it's been quite a long journey, but uh, you know, I, I think it is true that uh, when I finish a book, uh, it's, all, it's only then, and, and Jeff can, can probably attest to this as well, that, that it's after you preach through a text uh, that you kind of feel like you know it better. <laughs> so I'm sad in a way to, to be leaving the Gospel of John because it's been a, a sort of a friend for a long time. But we do finish it today. Last week we began looking at the epilogue, chapter 21. We looked at the first part of it uh, where Jesus uh, had this breakfast on the beach with his initial band of disciples, and he spent that time reconciling and uh, restoring Peter from Peter's great denial. This morning, we are going to conclude this chapter, chapter 21. Our text is John chapter 21. We're going to be looking specifically beginning at verse 18 through 25, but when I read, I'll begin at verse 15 just to, again, give us the context. If you have a Bible with you, as always, I'd encourage you to open it up and follow along as I read. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you but would like to follow along, you'll find a Bible in the seats in front of you underneath, and if you use that Bible, you'll find it, our text today, on pages 907 and 908. John chapter 21, beginning at verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain alive until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, 
I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. <clears throat> so Jesus has had this breakfast on the beach. They're still on the shore in this conversation, and Jesus has just said to Peter important words as he has restored Peter and reconciled with Peter. He's told Peter three times, I want you to feed my sheep. And then we see here, immediately after that, Jesus has, has just given Peter his marching orders. He's just said, Peter, I'm not finished with you yet. Peter, I know you failed me greatly. I know that you denied me as I said you would, but I have work for you to do. I'm not finished with you yet. And then immediately after that, he looks at him and he says, truly, truly, I say to you. Now here's the thing. Peter has heard that phrase, truly, truly, I say to you, countless times in Jesus' ministry. Jesus has said this many times. He in Greek, it is amen, amen, or Jesus saying amen, amen, I say to you. Jesus is, in essence, saying, look, this is going to happen. Listen up. This is important. And instead of speaking to a group or a, 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 the general group of disciples or, or other people, Pharisees, he's looking right at Peter. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, Peter, singular, no sooner does he tell Peter that he's not finished with him yet, that Peter has work to do, that he goes and foretells Peter's death. You see how he says it here. He, he speaks, in essence, of the totality of Peter's life. He speaks both of the days of his youth and his future as an old man. First, he, he speaks of his youth. He says, look, when you were young, you used to dress yourself. You used to walk wherever you wanted. Dress yourself, that phrase that is translated that way in, in our ESV, could also be translated, you used to tie your clothes, or you used to tie your belt. It could be kind of translated either way. I think that's important in a moment. Now, at this point, Peter is still relatively a young man. I mean, Jesus is talking about, of course, when he was even younger, but Peter is probably about 30 years old here. Peter is young enough and has enough energy and flexibility and all of that too when he hears it's the Lord to throw himself into the water and swim to shore. He's young and strong enough to, when Jesus says, bring the fish ashore, to go by himself and haul into shore all of those fish, 153 of them, large fish. Jesus could be here speaking to Peter of the relative freedom of youth versus the relative constriction of old age. He could be saying, Peter, you know, when you're young, as you are now, you can you have a lot of energy, you have a lot of strength, you can kind of do whatever you, you want, you can live life to, to its fullest. I think those of us here who are now kind of past our prime, realize that. We can look back and say, yeah, you know, I've often thought, you know, 
it, it happened, aging happened so gradually. I've often thought, I wonder what I would really feel like if I woke up one morning when I was, say, 16 years old and felt like I do now. I'd probably think something drastic had happened to me if it happened overnight. It's what most people experience. And, and Jesus says, look, but when you're old, you understand, Peter, you're going to stretch out your hands and, and someone else is going to dress you and someone else is going to take you where you don't want to go. And, and it could be, if read one way, that, that Jesus is, again, just comparing youth to old age. I mean, after all, uh, as you get older, and especially if you get really old, as we all have seen in our own lives, if not experienced in our own lives, you get to the point physically where you do have to be helped a lot. Now, I'm not there yet, but I experienced a taste of old age yesterday because James is playing baseball. And we took James, uh, everyone but Luke, but the rest of the family took James to West Goshen Park. We took him to one of the baseball fields there. It wasn't being used. And I thought it was a great idea to help James with his hitting and his fielding and all of this. So I had fielders set up, out, out, in the, out in the outfield, and I was pitching to James and, 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 and helping him get better at his hitting. And then uh, everyone wanted a shot at hitting. So uh, I went ahead and put James out in the field, and I let uh, all the other boys hit, and, and, and Mir- I don't know if Miriam hit, but Michelle wanted a shot at hitting. And I thought, go ahead, take your shot. So Michelle got up to hit, I was lobbing the balls into her, and she hit a dribbler back to me. Now, uh, if you've ever played uh, baseball, especially if you were an infielder, I was a shortstop for years, uh, this was no challenge. I mean, this ball was, she would have been easily out. Uh, This ball was dribbling to me, and I thought, for a change, I would sprint over to it and grab it and snatch it up and uh, teach James how to field. And uh, I sprinted over to it, lost my balance, uh, did a, some kind of somersault, uh, kind of half-grabbed the ball, hit the, tur- the, the dirt, rolled around, got up, somehow I knocked the ball like 20 feet this way, and all I heard was laughter from everybody. And m- almost everybody was saying, Daddy, that was super funny. <laughs> I thought I heard one person maybe say, that one's amazing. <laughs> But that could have just been my own (laughs) imagination. Everyone was cracking up laughing, and I realized at that moment (laughs) that I wasn't the infielder that I was years ago. But it's, it's important to understand here that Jesus isn't simply talking about the relative freedom of youth versus the relative limitations of old age. We know that because he uses a very important phrase here. He says, Peter, one day you will stretch out your hands. Now that phrase doesn't mean anything to us now, but but in the ancient world, that phrase, stretch out your hands, specifically uh, pointed and uh, specifically described crucifixion. When someone heard that phrase, you will stretch out your hand, they knew that it was referring to crucifixion. And we see that in verse 19. John says that Jesus said this to show by what kind of death 
he was to glorify God. So you see the comparison that Jesus is making here to Peter. He's not simply making a comparison of of youth to old age. He's saying, Peter, when you were young, you tied up yourself and you went where you wanted to go. But when you're an old man, someone else will tie you up and they will lead you where you do not want to go. Specifically, you will stretch out your hands. Jesus is reminding Peter here that there is a price to be paid for being his disciple. Now, Peter has already heard this. He's been following Jesus for three years. He's already heard this kind of talk many times. Peter was there when when Jesus said to, on that Sermon on the Mount, there on the hill by the Sea of Galilee, blessed are you when others revile you, when they persecute you, when they utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Peter was there in the upper room when, when Jesus looked at all of them sitting in that room and said, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but you're not of the world. I, I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Peter was there when, when Jesus looked at a group of disciples and said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Perhaps Jesus was talking to a large crowd when he said that. <coughs> Peter was there. But you see, for Peter, I think it's one thing to hear Jesus say to others, or even to him if he's part of a group, that discipleship in general involves sacrifice and suffering. But maybe it's another thing altogether to have Jesus look directly at Peter and say, Peter, listen up, you will be crucified for my sake. I think it's true for all of us. It's one thing to hear about someone else going through hardship and trials. It's another thing for you to be told that you are about to go through hardship and trials. It's one thing to hear, as we heard this morning, Jeff pray. It's one thing to hear about and pray for Christians in other countries who are imprisoned. Christians in other countries who, when they go to worship on Sunday morning, have to wonder if that's going to be their last day to live. It's another thing to be those people. It's one thing to hear someone else and and get a prayer request sent to you in your inbox that someone else was just diagnosed with terminal cancer. It's another thing for you to hear a doctor say to you, you have six months to live. I can't imagine how Peter felt at that moment. Knowing how horrendous crucifixion was, knowing that Peter was deathly afraid of even being somehow connected to Jesus, not that long before. Knowing and and probably seeing many times crucifixions happen in front of him. I can't imagine the pit in his stomach. Can't imagine the feeling he had knowing that for sure one day that would be him on a cross. And then look at verse 19. 
Immediately after saying this to Peter, Jesus said to him, follow me. He's just told Peter that one day in the future he's going to be crucified, and then he says, follow me. Now, what what does Jesus mean by that? Well, you can see in the text, on one level, Jesus simply means, I want you to physically follow me. They've been gathered around this charcoal fire, they've been eating fish, and you can see, because of what the text says, that Peter has to turn and look at the Apostle John following them. So on one level, Jesus is now getting up and he's walking away and he says to Peter, follow me. But I think figuratively, on another much deeper level, Jesus is bringing Peter again back to the beginning. He's already done this with Peter once. He he already called Peter Simon, son of John, going back to that first day when he called Peter to be his disciple. But on that first day, we read in Matthew chapter 4, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That, for Peter, meant three years of following, literally, behind Jesus, wherever he went following him as a disciple. But it meant more than that. It meant more than that because Jesus wasn't just calling Peter and these other guys to be mere observers. He wasn't saying, follow me and watch what I do. He wasn't saying, follow me and record what I do. They weren't just recorders. They were disciples. A disciple is a learner. A disciple is a student, an apprentice. A disciple is a follower. To be a disciple is to follow Jesus. For three years, again, it meant following him literally and physically. But Jesus is about to ascend. What will it mean for these guys to follow Jesus once he's ascended into heaven? Well, Jesus has answered that. In the upper room, Jesus said, I'm going to ascend, but I'm going to send you another helper. I will not leave you as orphans. I will send you the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, I will be in you, leading you. We find, as I mentioned this morning before the baptism, we find at the end of Matthew's gospel what's called the Great Commission. In that great commission, when Jesus, right before he ascended, he spoke to the disciples, and he said, I want you to go into the world, I want you to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I want you to make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That, if you look at the great commission, that looks like it's given to the church as an institution. What does it mean to be the church? The church as institution. Well, it means to make disciples. The church's mission is to make disciples. The church's mission is to baptize. The church's mission is to teach and preach everything that the Lord has commanded. To shepherd. Jesus has, in a sense, already called Peter to be a leader in the church. What did he say? Jesus, as an apostle, as a pastor, as an elder, I want you to feed the sheep. That's your job, Peter. As a member of the church as institution, that's your job. 
But you see here in John 21, I think you have a different emphasis. If Matthew 28, the Great Commission, is given to the church as an institution, I think John chapter 21 is given to individual Christians. One New Testament scholar puts it this way, chapter 21 is about the personal commitment of that person who believes what John calls them to believe at the end of John chapter 20. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And then he follows it up with chapter 21. 21 is about the individual Christian's personal commitment. So Peter has two callings. He has the calling, number one, of being a pastor, the calling of being an apostle or an elder, however you want to put it. Peter is in the place of leadership in the church. But Peter has a second calling as well. And his other calling that goes right along with that other calling is the calling to be a Christian. His calling is to be a disciple. His calling is to be a follower. And that is true for all Christians. Every single one of us in this room has two callings. <clears throat> the one calling, like for me, is to be a pastor. But God may not have called me to be a pastor. For years, I thought it, I would be called to do something else. When I was 10, I thought my calling was to be a professional baseball player. Your callings change throughout your life. For a time, I had a calling to be a student in college. For a time, my calling was to be a personal trainer in a gym. My, my calling, in that sense, has changed many times throughout my life. But the other calling, the calling to be a Christian, the calling to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be his disciple, has never left. Whatever my first calling is, the second one remains. Peter had a calling for a while to be a fisherman. For a while, his calling was to be a husband. At some point, either he or his wife died and left this earth, and that calling left. For a while, his calling was to be a son. At some points in Peter's life, his calling was to be a prisoner for Christ. He had many different callings, but throughout it all, underneath all of it, his calling was to follow Jesus wherever that took him and whatever that might mean. And for Peter, literally, it would mean at one point following Jesus all the way to a cross. Notice, Peter no sooner hears this that he wants to know what discipleship will mean for someone else. Verses 20 and 21, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Peter asked Jesus about John. Now notice, before we even talk about what Peter says, notice, first of all, the fact that Peter turns back. I find that interesting. I, I think it's almost symbolic of the Christian life, the life of discipleship. He has just been told to follow Jesus. Jesus gets up and says, Peter, follow me. No sooner does Peter take, I don't know how many steps, than he turns away from Jesus and looks back at John. 
Discipleship is hard. Following Jesus is a lifelong commitment, but it isn't easy. Oftentimes, we begin our walk with Him. And this side of heaven, this side of glorification, this side of being sinless and made perfect, we will constantly struggle to keep our eyes fixed on Him. We will constantly find ourselves being turned back and looking the other way. Without the Holy Spirit's help, each one of us would no doubt turn back finally and fully. Peter turns back, but he turns back to look at John. He's supposed to keep his eyes on Jesus, but he looks at John. And we might say, well, wait a second. Aren't we supposed to be concerned about our fellow believers? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, discipling one another and helping one another follow Jesus is part of what it means to be a member of the church. It's what we pray about most Sundays in the pastoral prayer, that we would grow in helping each other follow Jesus. But that's not what Peter was doing. John was already following. There was no reason for Peter to turn back. Calvin says this, not all concern for fellow Christians should be abandoned, but it should have limits put on it so that it may be concern and not curiosity that occupies our attention. Peter asks this question, Lord, what about this man? He's looking at John and says, what about this man? Taking Calvin's two distinctions there, we ought to be looking at our fellow Christians out of concern and not out of curiosity. Which do we think this is? Because on the one hand, and, and some New Testament scholars actually believe this, they, they, they think that Peter is asking out of concern. They say, look, Peter and John are close. Peter loves John. And so what's burdening Peter right now is what will happen to his beloved John. That, that Peter's turning around and, and what he's saying really is, Lord, what about my beloved friend John? Lord, you, you've said that I will have to be crucified for you, but, but Lord, I'm, I'm concerned for him. Lord, Lord, I, I'm ready to go with you wherever, even if it means the cross, but, but not John. Please, not him. Well, that could be what he's saying, but I doubt it. I don't think so, and I don't think so because of Jesus' answer. You see, if, if, John, if Peter were saying that, Lord, I'm so concerned for John, I don't want him to go to the cross as well. I think Jesus' answer to Peter would have been something like, look, Peter, I have called each one of you to suffer for me. Don't worry about John. If I have called him to stretch out his hands as well, what is that to you? you see, I think his answer would have been different. It would have been correcting Peter on that side of things. He would have been looking at Peter. Peter, I'm, I'm, I'm glad for your concern for your, for your fellow Christian and your brother in Christ, but he's in my hands and whatever suffering he has to go through is between me and him. That's not how Jesus answers it. See, I think Peter is asking out of curiosity rather than concern. Peter has heard his destiny, 
And he says, Lord, what about him? Am I the only one who's going to go through crucifixion? What is he going to have to go through? I'm getting a raw deal, but what about him? Now, why is Peter specifically pointing to John? I mean, we don't know, but presumably all the guys got up and started following. I mean, we know John did, but maybe they're all tagging along. I mean, why would the rest of them sit there? But even if they did, couldn't Peter have turned around and said, Lord, what about all the other guys? Why does he single John out? Well, I happen to think that he singles John out because up until now, Peter and John have kind of been running on parallel tracks. Peter and John have had a very similar life. Before Jesus even called them, they were fellow fishermen. In fact, they were, they were business partners together. Not only were, were Peter and John uh, uh, fishermen together and and business partners, but when Jesus came and called them, they were part of that initial group, the first band of disciples. They were the ones who followed Jesus the longest, and then they became part of this inner circle of Peter, James, and John. They were the two that ran to the tomb together. Peter and, and John have spent a lot of time together And I think Peter wants to know if their roads are going to continue down the same path. You see, it's not usually the kid down the street. It's not usually the kid who lives two blocks away who gets the ice cream cone that that you're worried about if you're a kid. Or that your kids are worried about if they don't get one. They're worried if their brother or sister gets an ice cream cone and they don't get one. That's when they say, it's not fair. They got one and I didn't. And I think Peter's asking, not out of concern for John's well-being, which would have been a question motivated by love for John, it's a question motivated by envy or John, or as John Calvin says, curiosity. Curiosity. What is your plan, Jesus, for his life? Peter is concerned, I think, that he might be getting the short end of the stick. Was that true for you, Christian? Are you content to the journey that Christ has called you to? Are you looking around at others At others, specifically, maybe not someone 20 years removed from you, but but someone that you're close with, someone your same age, and saying, Lord, what about them? Why is their journey like that and mine like this? What is Jesus' answer? Jesus said to him, Peter, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. This is the second time now that Jesus has called him to follow him, but this is a totally different level of follow me. Whereas the first one may have also included, look, follow me as we walk along the beach. This one, no doubt, means, Peter, you follow me. For the rest of your life, I don't want you worried about what I'm going to do with other believers. I don't want you worried about what my plan is for other Christians. You follow me wherever I take you. 
You keep your eyes on me. This is a a sharp rebuke. Look at what he says. He says, Simon, not only might I not send him to crucifixion, but I might leave him until I come back again. How do you like that? If it's my will that he stay alive until I return again, what is that to you? Jesus is saying, you mind your own business, Peter. In the end, Jesus is saying, I don't care that so far your lives have mirrored each other, Peter. When I choose for your roads to diverge, you must follow me down the road that I am leading you. And John must follow me down the road I am leading him. Jesus' call to Peter here is, follow me. They were the first and the last words that Jesus ever spoke to Simon Peter. And they were words that John never forgot. Because John ends his gospel with this conversation. You know, it's interesting. None of the other Gospels have this breakfast on the beach. None of them have this discussion. Not even Mark, which is Peter's Gospel. Uh, It doesn't talk about this. And I've wondered if here John is now the last to go and writing this Gospel way after the others have died, and is he saying, look, I'm going to share something that hasn't been shared yet. Either way, John never forgot these words because to a disciple, the words follow me are two of the most important words we can ever hear. They're two of the words that matter most Because understand, Christian, it's not where Jesus leads us that matters. It's that we follow after Him. And you know, these disciples, these apostles, these 11 guys, they did follow. Almost all of them followed followed Jesus to martyrdom, to giving their lives for Him. Peter's life and John's life did diverge. They did end up taking different paths. Peter did end up, relatively speaking, an old man. He lived roughly another 30 years. He died probably sometime in his 60s. Tradition tells us that he spent much of those 30 years in Babylon and in Rome. And while in Rome, while Peter was there ministering and sharing the gospel, a man named Nero took the throne. Someone that God placed there in his sovereignty. This man Nero didn't like Christianity. And when Peter was in his 60s, he was thrown into an infamous prison, shackled and most likely tortured. And while he was in this prison, tradition tells us that he preached the gospel to the guards that were torturing him. He wrote his final letter, we have it, 2 Peter. And you can see in this letter that that Peter is now, after 30 years of following Jesus, a very different man than the one who was concerned about John's future that day on the beach. In his last letter, 
Peter says this to the Christians he's writing to. He says, look, I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. I know I'm going to die soon. He says this, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. Maybe he's thinking back to that day on the beach. But he says this. He doesn't say anything about being treated unfairly. He says, but Christians, before I go, I want you to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. That's how he signs off his letter. And after he sent that final letter, Nero had him taken out of the dungeon, taken to the circus, and crucified. Church historian Eusebius tells us that when he went to the cross, even though he didn't want to go, even though he had to have obviously been led to the cross, he didn't go yelling and screaming. He didn't go shouting that it was unfair. He wasn't still asking what is going to happen to John. Instead, Eusebius tells us that that he went to the cross and actually requested that he be crucified upside down because he didn't consider himself worthy to be crucified like his Lord. The man who 30 years earlier denied Jesus three times glorified God by his death just as John, who was still living, said he would in his letter and said he did. What about John? Well, John was taken down a different road. Long after all the apostles had been martyred, John remained alive. He remained alive well into his 80s. He lived so long, in fact, that a rumor began to spread that he was not going to die. And so John dispels that rumor in this gospel. Did he suffer? Well, not exactly like Peter. But I can imagine, for one, the emotional toll that it took on John as the years went by and as each one of his companions went down to death. And he was the last one standing. He wasn't bound and taken to a cross. But it is interesting how much of Jesus' words to Peter apply as well to John. Because John was far older than Peter. And when he was old, he didn't go where he wanted to any longer. As an old man, he too was tied up and he was led to the penal colony on the island of Patmos, where criminals and political prisoners went. He was sent there, he tells us in the book of Revelation, because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Even there, as an old man in his 80s, Jesus still had a calling on his life. He led John there, and then he gave him his revelation, the final book of this book. And I love the way that John's gospel ends. He says in verse 25, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Is that hyperbole? 
I don't think so. How could all the books in the world possibly contain everything there is to say about the infinite God? One scholar says this, the Jesus to whom John bears witness is not only the obedient Son and the risen Lord, he is the incarnate Word the one through whom the universe was created, if all of his deeds were described, the world would be a very small and inadequate library indeed. Christian, that's who we have the privilege of following. The Word made flesh. So Christian, whether you die next year or whether you live till you're 100, the call for the rest of your life is to follow Him. The call for your life is to run the race, to put your hands to the plow and not to turn around because when your life on earth ends and He calls you home, it's only the beginning of the journey. And you'll have all eternity to continue to walk with Him, the eternal Word, the One who died, so that you may have eternal life. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we're so thankful for Your Gospel. We're thankful for this text. And we're thankful for Your call on our lives. Lord, we're so thankful that whatever the road here on earth takes us that we all end in glory. And we pray, Father, that you would give us the strength through your Spirit to follow our Lord until our last day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.